Hi, my name's Clayton, and you're listening to the Isaiah 43 podcast, where we explore how God has formed us, redeemed us, and how He calls us today. Each week, we will journey through Scripture to understand all that God has done and what exactly His call is for our lives today. Welcome to week 28, an apologetics week. This apologetics week will be slightly different than previous apologetics weeks because, truth be told, it may feel more like a Bible study week. However, this is an important topic for us to talk about in this day and age. You'll see what I mean momentarily. But before then, I wanted to share with you that when we return for week 30, we will be talking about aliens. So come back and check that out when we discuss that in two weeks. From now, we have a big topic on our plate today. As you can tell from the title of this episode, fans of the 1993 song, What is Love?, may want to give this episode a listen, because that is exactly what we are talking about today. What is love? But more accurately, what is biblical love? Now, why do I choose to do this topic during an apologetics week and not a Bible study week? Well, the reason for that is that in this modern day and age, there are two different kinds of love, if you want to call it that. There is the secular worldview of love. It is the nice, warm, fuzzy, glittery feeling that people have for a time. It makes them feel good, and oftentimes it is for the sake of their own gratification. Oftentimes you see this kind of love portrayed in movies, TV shows, pop cultures, and other form of media. While it may not always happen, it will generally end in divorce, heartbreak, affairs, shame, and guilt. You can see this kind of love play out in the relationships that celebrities have, like Will Smith, Kelsey Ballerini, and Gazelle. Secondly, the next worldview we have of love is the biblical worldview. Or the biblical view, my bad. We will dive into this more throughout this episode. But for now, the biblical view of love is one of selflessness, giving, self-sacrificing, and more. It is honoring to God. It only fails when the fallenness and brokenness of mankind enters in, corrupts it, and destroys it. It is perfect, holy, and good. It is a true gift of God. But like I said, we will explore that further later. In this world, we have been presented with these two options. We have the option of choosing one kind of love or the other. Apologetics is all about defending the faith, so what better way of defending than to show what true love is compared to the world's broken, faulty promise of love? But before we do that, let's dive deep into prayer. So let us pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. We ask for your guidance and your protection. We ask for your wisdom and your knowledge. But more importantly, Father, we pray that you will grant us forgiveness, forgiveness of the sins that we commit and the sins that we commit in our hearts. Lord God, you are with us. We call upon your name this day. And while we may not be gathered together in person, Father, we pray that wherever people are listening to this, that you will provide comfort. You will provide peace and love like never before, Father. We will feel your mighty arms wrapped around us in a great embrace where we just never want to let go. Lord, we ask for your guidance in helping us to understand what love is, true love, Father. And I pray that throughout the week, 
after one listens to this, Lord, that they will live their lives in greater love than they had previously, Lord. And I just ask that you will be with us and guide us and teach us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now the verses that we will be reading today are taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. So the translation we will use will be, once again, from the English Standard Version, or ESV. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. This is what Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes about what is love. The whole chapter is a beautiful chapter on love, so I encourage you to read that at some point this week. Until then, we have these four verses to examine. Now to once again change things up for the Apologetics Weeks, I want to break down each of these verses and first look at what they mean to us in terms of God's love for us, and then our love for each other, whether that be an eros love, a romantic love, or a storge love, a love for family, or a philia love, a love for friends. So let us start our examination with verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. God's love for us is very patient. God is patient with us in our sin. After all, recall Second Peter, where Peter writes that God is patient with us, not wanting us to perish but to come to repentance. God never says what we are doing is okay because it is in direct rebellion against him. But he is patient with us. He is patient with us in our walk with him, and he never asks us to run faster. When we fall and fail, he's still there once again calling our name and asking us to seek him once more. When we look at the next part of that verse, love is kind, we have to stop and think about what kindness means. Kindness is being compassionate, and compassion literally means co-suffering. The greatest form of co-suffering ever to exist in all of human history is the suffering that Christ took upon himself and suffering as a human and then on the cross on our behalf. There is no greater example of kindness or compassion. That is it. And after all, if if he is being patient and kind with us in love, why would he feel the need to boast or be envious? I mean, he is God after all. I think if he was going to boast about anything, it was that he is God and he is the Savior of his chosen people. And to be envious? Well, again, he's God. God only gets jealous when we are prostituting ourselves to the idols in our lives and not giving him the glory and worship that he deserves. Now, how does that relate to human love to one another? Love being patient means that when things are hard and tough, we stick by one another. Again, when it comes to the co-suffering, the compassionate kindness, it means that we are there with one another during the pain. Yes, but... We're also there in the mundane of everyday life. We're patient with one another when the other makes a mistake. As Christ said in Beatitudes, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
Life won't always be exciting and sparkly. That's not the way life works. People will let you down and fail you. That is when you have to see if the love that you have is truly patient and kind. I am reminded of a married couple that a loved one once told me about. He told me that the wife in the marriage was in a terrible accident and was paralyzed from the neck down. The husband did all he could to provide for his wife, even bathing her, taking her to the bathroom, feeding her, and etc. The husband sacrificed everything for her. But I am sure that both of them also learned what the true meaning of love is, as they had to learn to be patient and kind with one another. I'm sure there were times when they wanted to give up, or maybe even the wife told the husband that she would not fault him for leaving her. I don't know, but what I do know is that required patience and compassion that only comes from love. Now, does your love boast, or is it envious? Why would you need to tell everyone about how great your love is? If your love is that great, keep that between you and your spouse or significant other. It is one thing to tell people about the things that you may have done with loved ones, or even if you are telling someone that you love your significant other. But it is another when you feel the need to boast about your love. I once knew a couple who compared every relationship to theirs. They boasted about how every couple wanted to be them and all sorts of stuff. That's not love. And if you are jealous of everyone your significant other talks to you, talks to or needs you or you need to know their every mood, or move, rather, that isn't love. That is jealousy that has snatched away any seed of your love. That is very dangerous, and I would warn you to watch that, because jealousy can quickly destroy a good thing. Now, on to verse 5. Or rude, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I think for a better understanding of this verse, we should turn to the NIV, or New International Version, which reads, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. With that, let's see how that applies to God's love for us. God's love for us is self-sacrificing, which is the total opposite of self-seeking. He loved us so much that he gave his only son on our behalf. How is that self-seeking? It is the furthest thing from it. It is interesting, however, that it is written. That love is not easily angered. That doesn't mean that it is never angered. God is angered by our sins. God hates it when we sin. But again, the scriptures read that it is not easily angered. Remember, love is patient. And if it wasn't, then the next part couldn't be true either. Love keeps no record of our wrongs. Now, I think that is one of the most beautiful parts of this whole text. How great is it that through Christ all of our sins have been wiped away? Our sins are removed from us and we are made right with God. God keeps no record of any of the bad, terrible, shameful things that you or I have done in the past and anything we will do when we belong to Him. Now, how does this apply to us and one another? Love is not self-seeking. Someone recently told me that the mark of a bad person is that they use others for their own personal gratification. Love is the opposite of lust. Lust is self-seeking in every way. People think they are in love many times, but truly they are lusting. Lust can easily corrupt true love faster than the blink of an eye. If you are seeking anything for yourself in a relationship, you are lusting. The relationship should 100% be about the other person and how that is honoring to God. 
I think you could easily tell if you were self-seeking in a relationship, too. How? You are easily angered, especially when the other person you won't give you what you want, whatever that may be. So even in the struggles, the difficulties of life, the boredom of life, whatever it is, love isn't mad at the drop of a hat. Again, it doesn't say you can never be angry in love. But if you are getting mad over a simple thing, if you are getting angry easily, then things need a real evaluation. And now, before I move on, I want to clarify something. I'm not saying that being so angry that you beat someone in love is okay. Abuse of someone else, especially a child, is never okay, and the Bible directly condemns that. But a parent may be angry that their child did wrong or did not listen. They may be angry, but they are angry out of love for caring for that child. If the parent gets out of hand and abuses the child, then that is not love because love does not hurt or abuse. Now, Love keeps no record of wrong. Again, I think Jesus' words in Matthew, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, applies. Love lets things go. Imagine a situation where a father has abandoned his child and comes back to the child, who has now grown up. The dad asks the son for help. The son has two options now. He can either A, remind the dad constantly of his failure to be there and slam the door in his face. Or B, he can open the door, forgive his dad, and welcome him in. Which one do you believe is the biblical response? Or what about a married couple, where one has been unfaithful and then comes to their spouse amidst their wrongdoing and asks for forgiveness? What is a biblical response there? Yes, Christ allows for divorce in this situation, but there is also an option of the couple staying together if they wish to work things out. In both situations, it won't be easy. It is not a magical erase button. It will take lots and lots of work. But if it is true love, it will keep no record of this wrong. It will not hold this over the other person's head. The particular topic of divorce, there's so much that could be said, but it'll have to wait for another time. For now, let us move on to verse 6. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. With verse 6, I want to point out something that I haven't made clear yet. Notice that each verse ties into each other quite nicely. They all flow with another to paint this beautiful picture of love. For example, if love does not keep a record of wrongdoing, then why would it rejoice over wrongdoing? God's love for us does not and will never rejoice at wrongdoing on our part. God is not waiting around for us to screw up so he can blot out our name in the Lamb's Book of Life and send us straight to hell. That is not God. No, not at all. Remember what Jesus said about what it is like in heaven when one sinner repents. According to Luke chapter 15, Jesus says that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner repenting than 99 who need no repentance. All of heaven rejoices when someone repents and comes to the truth of Christ. What about our relationships with one another? How do we rejoice in truth and not with wrongdoing? Well, again, we don't hold it over the other's head because that's not love. We rejoice when others come to the truth of Christ. We come to rejoice when one is honest and despite the difficulty. We have no need to rejoice when someone we love does wrong. That is cruelty to laugh when even your enemies, yes, even your enemies, 
stumble and fail because Christ calls us to love them too. When they are caught in evilness, we do not rejoice in that. Lastly, we come to verses 7 and 8. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. There is so much here, so much beauty that we couldn't possibly get to it all. But I want to touch on several points. God's love bears all things as it did when Christ was on the cross. It can take any insult, injury, mockery, disappointment, hardship, or whatever. It can even take death. Love bears all things despite the scars it may leave, just as it left our Savior with holes in his hands, feet, and side. Love believes all things. As William Barclay, who passed away in 1978, was a former professor of divinity and biblical criticism at the University of Glasgow, writes that this means total trust in God and believing the best in people. When he, he said, quote, Love can make honorable even the dishonorable by believing the best. End quote. He gives hope and shines light in the darkness. I am reminded of those Christians who suffered in the gulags of the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Their stories are hopeful and inspiring because the love of God shined far brighter than anything than any of the horrors they faced. Or even Maximilian Kolbe, who was a Polish Catholic priest who volunteered to die in the place of another prisoner in the worst Nazi death camp of them all, Auschwitz. Why would he do that? What hope is there in that? The love of God shined brighter there because it showed how far love should be willing to go to give hope to another in need. As it goes in verse 8, love never ends. Scripture tells us that God is love, and therefore God and love will never cease. It will go on. But that is true love, not the false nonsense that the world tries to promote. Whatever idea they try to tell you is love, it's not. Only Scripture gives us this very clear and very real understanding of what love is. Verse 8 tells us that there is nothing in this world that will not pass away except for love. Again, William Barclay gives us an outline of what Paul writes about love. He says that Paul stresses three main points in verse 8 and the following verses by stressing love's absolute permanency, its absolute completeness, and its absolute supremacy. He writes, quote, Great as faith and hope are, love is still greater. Faith without love is cold, and hope without love is grim. Love is the fire which gives the spark to faith, and it is the light which turns hope into certainty. End quote. So again, why would we go over love in an apologetics week? Well, Love, true biblical love, is fading so fast in this world. We and our children are losing what true biblical love looks like in favor of fancy slogans, propaganda, and a do-whatever-makes-you-feel-good mentality. We look around and see the world has grown cold. The only way to bring back the warmth of God's love to ourselves, our loved ones, our communities, our country, and our world is to remember what true love looks like. What better way to defend the faith and show what our faith in God looks like practically than to show God's love flowing through us? This week, your homework is to think about whether or not the love you show your spouse, significant other, family, friends, or whoever, the kind of love that is outlined here in 1 Corinthians. 
And if not, start doing that. And until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless.